Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast with Steve Schellenberger. You're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you transform your life and achieve results that otherwise would have seemed difficult or even impossible. In each episode, you'll learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals. Steve is the number one national best-selling author. He's successfully started 11 businesses in three separate industries. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and corporate trainer for organizations around the world, an executive coach, the father of six, and the founder of Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Here is Mr. Steve Schallenberger. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you might be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we have an extraordinary guest today that is a total inspiration for me. We have Joseph Grinney with us, and I'm going to introduce him in just a moment, but welcome to our show today, Joseph. Well, thank you, Steve. I've been looking forward to this. Well, can't wait. Now, let me give a little background on Joseph. He is a New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, and leading social scientist for business performance. And for 30 years, Joseph has delivered engaging keynote speakers or speeches at major conferences. Uh, His work has been absolutely translated into 28 languages and is available in 36 countries. And it has generated results for 300 of the Fortune 500 companies. Joseph is also the co-author of four immediate New York Times bestsellers with more than 3 million copies in print. That's amazing. Uh, A couple of those would be Crucial Conversations, another influencer, The Power to Change Anything. And one other thing I'd like to add is Joseph is an absolute class individual. We happen to share a common friend who a number of years ago suggested that I meet Joseph. He knew that I was going to write a book and and be involved in leadership training and coaching. And so I called Joseph. He said, well, I'd be delighted to. And I explained what I was doing, that I had a manuscript, uh, what the thought was on becoming your best. And so we went to lunch. I love the advice and encouragement that he so selflessly gave. And he said one of those things is that if you're going to write a book. He said, I I love your manuscript. He said, you've got great content, but my advice is to go out and present your content to 10 different groups and then come back and see the interaction and the discussion and the experience that you have. Well, that proved to be enormous. And uh, since that time, Joseph has been gracious enough to be one of the endorsers of, of my book, Uh, becoming your best, and also has given me encouragement, uh, suggestions, and guidance. So this is one wonderful person. And Joseph, uh, let's just get started. Here we go. (laughs) Great. All right. Well, first of all, please, let's start with giving our listeners uh, some of your background. What were the things that were transformational for you? Things that helped you go from where you were as a younger person to where you are today, what were some of the things that really made a difference for you? Turning points. Yeah. Well, I, uh, obviously, you know, to, to begin with, they're people. And so there, there were people that came along in my life that saw more in me than I saw in myself. 
Uh, one was a, a man by the name of Norman Van Duker. And uh, when he was 22 years old, I thought he was the, uh, the epitome of perfection. You know, athletic, smart, uh, clever, uh, articulate, uh, headed towards medical school. And I was a 15-year-old uh, skinny little kid uh, that felt uh, uh, like a misfit in, uh, in, in high school. And yet, this is a guy who uh, took an interest in me and thought I had something interesting to say. And, uh, and we'd hold lengthy conversations. He lived with my family for a while as he was getting situated in his, uh, in his university career. And, uh, and that was transformational for me. So people like that along the way that helped me to see myself differently uh, absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. Well, that's great. What were some of the things that you learned from him, Joseph? I, I, I think I learned that... Uh, that words can change the world. I, I, I watched how effective he was at articulating ideas and persuading people, uh, particularly ones that he hoped would change the direction of their lives in a way that, that would bless them. And, uh, and I was impressed with how thoughtful he was about the way he expressed himself, how economical he was with his words. And that always stayed with me. That was quite an example. Well, this is so powerful when we realize that there are people that come along in our lives that can have an enormous impact on us. Uh, I had one, it was Mr. Conger from Vallejo, uh, which Joseph and I realized at lunch that we both had lived in Vallejo at a very important time in our lives. Who'd have thought? Yeah, who would have thought? I mean, if you can sur survive Vallejo, you can survive <laughs> the world. And we did. <laughs> <laughs> But I had a similar experience, and he helped me see things differently and realize that it was okay to have dreams, and you could make a difference. Well, your books, uh, which I have recently reread once again, are so amazing, uh, particularly Crucial Conversations, and also uh, The Influencer, The New Science of Leading Change. They were written together with you and <clears throat> your partners at Vital Smarts. They have absolutely rocked the world as international bestsellers. Tell us the difference between these two books. Well, they're, they're both ultimately about influence. So, so uh, the, the broader topic, Influencer, uh, asks the question, what do we know in social science about how to create profound and rapid and sustainable behavior change in organizations, in cities, in nations, but also in families or communities or teams? So there, there's a lot that we've accumulated in the social sciences, but the problem is while all of us really are practical social scientists, few of us have accessed that information. So we tried to put it together and make it learnable and translatable to the real problems of people's lives. Crucial Conversations takes a subset of those influence challenges. The moments when the influence tactic you're going to have to use is your mouth. So you, you've got to show up in a conversation and express some things that are going to be emotionally or politically risky. And we've studied for thousands and thousands of hours how people do that in a way that gets across, that, that gets heard, but also creates freedom for others to express themselves as well, that creates a connection and a relationship between people that is uh, enduring and intimate. So Crucial Conversations is more the interpersonal influence domain. Influencer is about all the other forms that influence takes. Well, that's wonderful. They certainly help people learn what to do to be highly successful leaders, uh, and, and they give you hope that you can do it. That's one of the things that I really like about each one of these is it's not only the fact that 
you recognize there are certain behaviors that contribute to excellence as a leader, uh, an influencer, uh, but also things that you do that that uh, you tools that you can gain that help you be more effective. So let's just think about crucial conversations. And by the way, I would recommend to our listeners, if you don't already own these two books, consider investing in them. They are game changers. Oh, they are so inspirational. And so as we talk about crucial conversations, uh, they, one of the things that I liked, and I'd like to get to the heart of this because it kind of shows some of the things that uh, this helps us with. You had a second edition after 2 million copies were sold of this book. And at the end, you have uh, two sections that I really like. Uh, one is, yeah, but, <laughs> and advice for tough cases. In other words, it all sounds good, but how about the really tough cases with a spouse or a difficult employee or even a boss? Uh, and so you go over these various scenarios and things you can do. And then the question was asked of the authors, what have you learned? And I'd, I'd like to ask you, Joseph, to just share what you shared, if you don't mind. You shared a story about getting miffed at your 15-year-old son, Hiram. (laughs) And then what you talked about is how Crucial Conversations has helped. And you started out by saying how upset you were and that true emotions uh, can really be false and lead you on the long road. And what you did about that. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah, I'd be be happy to. I... uh... Because I think you know this. This is the place we all fall down during our crucial conversations. So the the, the reflection I shared as we we're uh, facing the tenth anniversary of the release of Crucial Conversations, uh, I was kind of examining myself and saying, where am I today versus ten years ago around this topic, and how do I show up in these moments? And just a couple of days before I was supposed to write this reflect reflection, I'd had uh, a really bad uh, incident with my fifteen year old son. Now. Now, you have to understand, this is a wonderful boy. He is gracious, he's sensitive, he's caring, he's been obedient to us as parents, he's, uh, he's got a wonderful sense of responsibility for the world. In fact, he's serving a mission right now for his church uh, for two years, completely unpaid, trying to help other people, uh, just a terrific young man. And yet, he had done something uh, the day before I was writing this that I felt was rude, was cold, was ungrateful, <laughs> was manipulative. So I, I, was, I felt resentful and, uh, and angry at him. So this, this is the moment. Now, now here's the problem. When, when you and I are facing a crucial conversation, so often the way we're representing the other person to ourselves is the greatest impediment to our discussing the issue in a healthy way. The, the problem is not that the problem is undiscussable. The problem is that the way we see them in that moment is so deceptive and it provokes feelings in us that get in the way of our being able to have a real connection with him. So what I shared in this reflection is that, that I've noticed over the most recent years that emotions during our crucial conversations come packaged with two lies. The first lie is that they are true. So when I'm feeling resentful for, towards my son, that resentment feels true. It feels like the only way I could possibly feel towards my son the, the second is they feel permanent. They feel true and they feel permanent. They feel like they aren't going to go away until they're resolved or satisfied. 
And so we try to give voice to those, uh, those provoked feelings rather than the healthy approach, which is what we teach in Crucial Conversations in a chapter we call Master My Stories, and that is to take responsibility for your emotions. Your emotions are yours. They are not necessarily true about that person. They are just true about how you feel right now about that, that person. And they're so often a composition of some things that really legitimately happen, but also a lot of fabrications, a lot of stories we tell in our minds. So what we try to teach people to do is, is how to take responsibility for their emotions and then how to unpack the stories from those emotions so that we start to recognize what part of them are true and useful and what part can literally disappear. Okay, well, that's, that's terrific. And, and one of the things I really liked about that story is where you came to the moment, Joseph, that you realized what was happening. And, uh, and so you made a change. And you asked yourself, I think, as you said in the book, well, what do I really want here? And that was the pause that kind of gave you the difference. So it, how important is that question? <laughs> yeah, the... When, when, during crucial conversations, we're, we're, we're often provoked into survival mode. So we, we feel threatened. We feel that somebody is menacing to us. And so we gear up for that kind of a fight. And what happens is our motives get corrupted. So the, the first barrier to us having effective crucial conversations is recognizing when what we want has been transformed. Our motives have degenerated. We start wanting to be right or to win or to punish the other person or to, to keep the peace, right, to, uh, to, to try to smooth things over. So we, our, our motives start to become very short-term and survival-oriented. Uh-huh, yeah. And the best way to reconnect with, with your longer-term intentions is to simply stop and ask the question that I did in that circumstance with Hiram. And that question is, what do I really want? What do I really want here? There is something incredibly therapeutic, first of all, about simply asking a question when we're emotionally aroused. Just asking a question starts to massage the higher reasoning centers of our minds back into action. They start to take control again away from some of the survival parts of our brain. But then specifically asking the question, what do I really want, also pushes the, the, the temporal focus that we've got away from short-term and into long-term. And that's when our real values start to emerge. As soon as I asked that question in this situation with, with Hiram, with my son, what got really clear to me is, yeah, I want to solve this problem, but I also want a loving and warm relationship with my son. And I felt myself physically transform as soon as I connected with that other motive. So, so one of the best pieces of advice for crucial conversations is when you start noticing yourself moving in that, that survival direction, slow down, stop, and ask yourself this provocative and re refocusing question. What do I really want? Well, that is so powerful. And I was touched by, as you described this in your book, that you saw Hiram differently. He was transformed right in front of you. You saw him for all that he could become. <laughs> and as a result, it allowed you to react much differently, to treat him more different, you know, uh, in a different way. It was wonderful. <laughs> that's, that's precisely true, Steve. And, you know, that's, that's what I love about your work. So the, the focus on becoming the best, uh, one, one of the things that most impedes us from becoming the best that we can be 
is how we show up when things are worst. It's these, these crucial moments. And those moments have the potential of either strengthening and connecting us with other people in our relationships with others, or damaging, destroying those relationships in a way that they become almost unachieve, uh, uh, irretrievable. So, so this, this notion that we want to become our best, I think, demands that we focus on these moments where we have crucial issues to address with others and learn to see them differently. It, it turns out the way you see others during crucial conversations is more a reflection of your motive than their reality. It tells you more about what you want in that moment, whether it's to be right or to punish or to win or to keep the peace. It tells you more about that than it does about who they really are. And when your motive changes, you see them differently. They start to look like the beautiful, wonderful person of enormous potential. And then you start treating them as such. And when you do, you start to become your best. Oh, what a great description. <laughs> One of the things that we talk about frequently with leaders in our workshops or coaching is to see themselves as a transformational leader versus a transactional leader. And as soon as you start seeing yourself differently, when you have these difficult times, you can do exactly what you said and say, okay, what's the vision here? What am I really, what are we trying to accomplish? Well, I want to have a happy, close relationship with my spouse. Well, if that's the case, then let me do these things that helps create a circumstance where that can be. Uh, well, <clears throat> I will say one other thing uh, that, and obviously I'm really high on, on what the, the work that Joseph Grinney and those at Vital Smarts have done, but their books are full of wonderful examples. And if you go to their websites, uh, uh, maybe, website maybe Joseph will talk about this, there's also illustrative videos on these that you can practice these principles. Yeah, at vitalsmarts.com, you'll find some great resources. But the best thing for, uh, for our listeners to, to go to would be crucialskills.com. So if they go to crucialskills.com, uh, they'll be able to connect with a whole uh, treasure trove of resources, of, uh, of videos and tools, self-assessments that will help them look at how they can do their best when it matters most. Perfect. Okay, let's take a deeper dive into Influencer, the new science of leading change. Now, if someone really wants to make a difference in their work or in their homes or even in their lives, what are some of the key things that they should be doing as influencers and leaders? Well, two, two big ideas. The first is that, that I, well, let, let me sort of step back first. The, the basic message of influencer is that, that leadership is fundamentally about intentional influence. That's what leadership is. So leadership isn't all of these little fragmented pieces we like to talk about, about you know, setting strategy or, or visioning or, uh, or creating the right organizational structure or processes. And those are tools. And all of those tools are designed to shape behavior. So uh, if, if, if at the end of your leadership, people are not behaving differently in order to achieve even better results than they ever could have before, then you aren't leading. So just making people feel differently is not leadership as an end in itself unless those feelings translate into behavior change. We aren't leading. So leadership is intentional influence. What influencer attempts to do then is to say, what do we know about that? What do we know about how you can intentionally create strategies to help people behave in ways that will help them produce results they could never have otherwise done? So that's, that's the central concept. Uh, this, is, uh, this becomes important whether you're trying to influence yourself, 
So let's say you're trying to save more uh, and, and be prepared for retirement, whether you're trying to eat differently so that you can be healthier or exercise more. So influence is something that you apply to yourself. Similarly, as a parent, you'd be influencing your children, helping them shape habits that would produce a life of success and happiness for them. And the same is true in an organization. So the book gives people an opportunity to sit back and just think very carefully about this central question of what is your theory of influence? What's your belief about how to help people change their behavior? And how is that informed by the science that we've been accumulating for, for many decades? So that's the that's the big idea of influencer. Good, and one of the things that uh, I really like is you talk about, uh, particularly in the first part of the book, searching for behaviors versus outcomes. It's the behaviors that produce the outcomes, and then really looking for the vital behaviors that can make a difference. And then one last dimension that you added was looking for recovery behaviors. So people make mistakes and and they can get back on track. And so this has to do, I'm sure, with your leadership, excuse me, the influence that you can have through leadership by identifying the behaviors that make a difference. And then you talk, of course, about specific things that you can do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so the, the, the notion of vital behaviors is really empowering. So, it, so often when we go into organizations that are trying to shape a different culture, create a different attitude, toward, attitude towards customers or the team or what have you, they, they, they fall far short of effective influence because they never get to the concrete behavior they're asking of people. They, they first of all, develop huge competency lists that have 30 different competencies they want all their leaders <laughs> to have and 10 related behaviors of each, and, and the whole thing dies under its own weight. So when we were doing the, the work, uh, the research for the Influencer book, we literally traveled around the world and tried to look at the work of those who had created remarkable behavior change to achieve results most people think aren't even possible. So, for example, in Thailand, we found a guy who'd said, you know what, if we want to reduce the number of new AIDS infections we have every year in this country, the only way to get there is to change people's behavior. This is not a medical science problem. This is a social science problem. And he literally boiled the whole problem down to two behaviors that needed to change nationwide and then developed a strategy to get 60 million people behaving differently. You know what's amazing, Steve? He, he, he pulled it off. <laughs> Great. Got 60 million people behaving differently within a year and a half, reduced the number of new AIDS infections by 89%. Now, that, that's an astounding accomplishment. But what we were interested in is how does a guy like that think about that colossal task? And how would that then help you or I as a parent or as a team leader or as a CEO? So what we describe in the book are the, the basic tactics that they use that every one of the influencers we studied use to help people create rapid, profound, sustainable behavior change. Uh, these are so powerful. Uh and one of the things I noticed, we have, unfortunately, such limited time. I'd love to have more time to talk about these. But you talk about the importance of storytelling versus just direct, just announcing a problem, but setting it up with a convincing illustration that reaches people, then helps them, then make a change. They can see the difference. And maybe that was part of it. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because as this uh, Dr. Wiwat in Thailand, for example, was trying to change how people felt about the AIDS epidemic. There were so many that were in denial in government and so on. One of the pivot points was simply him telling a story. 
he was able to get in front of the, the, the senior cabinet, the government officials who'd had their head, heads in the sand about this. And then he brought in some statistics about, first of all, the trajectory of the AIDS epidemic and what percentage of the, the workforce and the citizenry would probably be infected over the next four or five years if we didn't do anything. And everybody's yawning and falling asleep because <laughs> he's got pie charts and bar graphs. But then he tells a story. Then he tells a story about a soldier who was critical to the defense of a particular part of their military who didn't show up because he was suffering from consequences of AIDS. And then he stepped back and said, dead soldiers don't fight and dead customers don't buy. And then he started talking about what would happen to the economy as, uh, as more and more customers couldn't show up and couldn't produce at work and so on. But those couple of stories seized the attention of the cabinet members and literally pivoted their attention at that critical moment and got support for what he was trying to do to try to battle AIDS across the country. Well, that's a perfect example. Thank you for illustrating that. Now, one of the things we recently talked about is your passion for helping others. And you've described in some of your work about Delancey Street uh, type initiatives in San Francisco, which is so extraordinary. What are some of the things that you would like to do <laughs> to make a difference? What gets you excited, Joseph? Well, we've gone beyond liking to do, and I'm following your lead. So I've been so inspired by the way you put your, your money and your time and your back where your, uh, where your heart is, uh, Steve, and, and I'm attempting to do the same. So we found this, uh, this in, in the course of our influencer research, this remarkable place in California that had helped 20,000 hardened criminals turn their lives around. In so doing, they helped the state of California avoid paying to incarcerate people for 50,000 years, 50,000 years worth of incarceration. Think also about how many crimes were not committed, how many people were not victimized because these 20,000 people were now living productive lives. What blew me away about Delancey Street is that it's a place that, that accepts no government funding. Nobody pays to enter this place. The primary therapy, the primary change model or influence model that they use is a peer community where people hold each other accountable while working in jobs to produce the income to support themselves. So they have Delancey Street Movers, a Delancey Street Restaurant, Delancey Street uh, uh, Landscaping, and a variety of businesses, and working together every day, holding each other accountable uh, for, for, year, for, for two to three years is the process that helps them become a different human being. It's an absolutely astounding place, but what baffled me, Steve, is that after looking at what they'd accomplished over 40 years, I realized they have discovered the cure for cancer, but then they never shared it. So that here we have this place that knows how to help people fundamentally transform their lives, but it, it hasn't diffused across the world. So this year we started the Other Side Academy, uh, starting in Salt Lake City, Utah, that is uh, an alternative to incarceration for some of the most damaged lives in Utah. And our goal is to scale this up so that by the end of next year we'll have 150 students in this uh, operation, and we'll then hopefully understand how to scale it across the United States and then uh, eventually across the world. So we'd like everybody who wants to change their life to have the option of doing so and to remove the barrier based on whether mommy and daddy are rich or whether your state happens to have one of the Delancey campuses in it. Fabulous. This is just one example. One more example to all of my friends and associates that are listening in today 
that one person really can make a difference. Uh, and as you use just your start with your sphere of influence, it might be in your own family. It might be at your work. But also, as you gain perspective, it might be on a much broader level. And great things start uh, really in, in small places and then can grow and have a very big impact. All right. Well, just wrapping up today, if you were to sit down with your children or grandchildren or any one of our listeners knee to knee, what advice would you give them to help them out? Well, two things. The, the first is uh, the next time you're facing a crucial conversation, just realize that how you show up in that moment matters more than almost any other moment in your life. It deserves thought. It deserves study. It deserves development of skill. And the second is if you want to take control of your life, you have to take control of the things that control you. There are a lot of kinds of influences, especially these days in our modern economy with a lot of technology around us that are shaping our habits and our behaviors. And unless we take control of those things in order to help us shape habits that will produce the lives we want, we'll end up in a place we don't choose. Well, okay, that's great, great advice. Well, Joseph, how can our listeners find out more about what you're doing at Vital Smarts and your work? Well, after, after they finish reading I, uh, Becoming Your Best, then, <laughs> Good. Uh, then they can go to vitalsmarts.com. That's a great place to connect with us, learn about who we are, what we're trying to do in the world, and see if there's something we can do to help. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you, Joseph, for being part of this show today. You have done such a great job. And we wish you and Vital Smarts all the best as you are making a difference in the world. And to all of our listeners, never forget, you too can make a difference every single day of your life. I'm Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, wishing you a great day. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Becoming Your Best podcast. We want to know what your big takeaways were, so head on over to becomingyourbest.com and you can find all the information about the podcast right there as well as the show notes page where we'd love to hear what you thought about each and every single episode also if you haven't done so yet please go subscribe to the podcast on itunes and leave a rating and review a rating and review is by far the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because it helps other people find out about the show and decide if this is the podcast for them so now it's all in your hands. It's time for you to go out there to take action and truly start becoming your best.